and Jake Scott, presented by Big O Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires for no credit needed financing and the best prices on winter tires. Big O Tires, the team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. It's a big show. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Want to say a big thanks to the title sponsor of the big show. That is Big O. Big O Tires Spring Super Sale is here for a limited time only. Save big on tires and service with financing available. Big O Tires, the team you trust. Uh, did you trade out the the tires on the Ferrari yet, Gordo? No. Move to those, uh, get, get rid of the snow tire and go to the performance tire? Uh, I'll go, I'll, I'll. No, I well the one car I didn't uh, I didn't put uh, snow tires on this year, but uh, I will um, next time around, and I will go to Big O. All right, there there you go. Make sure you've got mm-hmm. the the proper tire for the performance sure. of your vehicle. Uh, and nobody knows this better than our guy Gordon. <laughs> Everybody should know it. You know, because I'm just not there when it comes to to car performance. Like, just give me a a, a set of all terrain, you know, good tires, because it's it's kind of like my golf ball. Like the, the brand doesn't matter. <laughs> not not with my game, you know what I mean. Uh, all right, but anyway, Big O will get you taken care of, no matter what you're looking for. Um, big thanks to Big O Tires. Time for your daily assist, Aust. Hit it. It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated, Chris Mannix. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Chris, happy Monday. How are you? What's going on, guys? Hey, uh, we're just talking a lot of jazz basketball. They've got a game against the Lakers tonight. Uh, we're not going to see LeBron and AD, of course, and uh, now we're not going to see Donovan Mitchell, who will be reevaluated at the end of the week. And Rudy and Conley are probable. And it seems like the Jazz now are, are going through what a lot of NBA teams have been going through, trying to, to manage during this unique season. How how difficult do you think that's been across the board? Oh, it's been you know the the, the biggest story of the season I think has been injuries I mean we talk about it when it comes to the MVP race but it's you know it it permeates across teams I mean you just scroll through Twitter in the mid-afternoon every day and it's an injury update from a coach or a team releasing injury updates you know Kevin Durant is now out I mean I was just reading what Brad Stevens was saying about the guys that he's at have out to come back I mean the one thing the Jazz have been very successful with though has been COVID and that's you know, that's something that they've taken a lot of pride in internally that, you know, we're going to take this coronavirus issue seriously. We, When we're on the road, we're going to uh, be diligent about it. When we're home, we're going to be uh, equally as, as tough when it comes to protecting ourselves and making sure that, that we don't have any kind of spread or contact tracing issues. And, and they've been largely successful with that. I think that's been a big reason why the Jazz have been as consistent as they've been this season. Chris, you, you mentioned Brad Stevens. Real quick aside here, uh, what would you make of that story over the weekend that he was offered seven years, $70 million by Indiana? 
Uh, I don't know what he's making with the Celtics, but that's pretty good. Uh, pretty good money to walk away from, huh? Well, I mean, two things. One, I think to be clear, what Woj said on TV was that Indiana was prepared to offer him seven years oh. and seventy million, and you know maybe they would have, but it's it's easy to say that now when you know it's it's a done deal and you know you've got your coach already. Um, you know, Brad Stevens just never let it get that far. Like, you know, and that's just kind of his MO. He's a pretty straight shooter. And, you know, I, he made it pretty clear from what I was told to people making overtures from Indiana that he wasn't going anywhere. And look, we've had this conversation many times, you know, pro coaches don't go back to college. They just don't. I mean, the college lifestyle is, is awful compared to what an NBA coach goes through. I mean, hell, Alex Jensen walked away for a chance to be a head coach at a uh, college program to stay as an assistant. I mean, the lifestyle's good. And if you have a chance to make, and I think Brad Stevens is probably somewhere between 6 and $8 million per year to be an NBA coach, I, there's really no scenario where I don't think we'll ever see an NBA coach walk away from that. So, uh, I, you know, maybe it was what Indiana was willing, uh, how far Indiana was willing to go. Uh, but, uh, you know, Brad Stevens, he just never had any attention and still doesn't have any intention of going back to the college ranks. You know, as long as we're talking about the Celtics for a moment, what have they figured out, uh, figured out Chris? Because they've turned it around all of a sudden. I mean, you know, one of the things that people in Boston told me during their slump was that we need our stars to play like stars. And we've seen that over the last, you know, couple of weeks. They're on that six-game winning streak, eight out of nine, like 10 out of 13 or something like that. Um, through that, you've seen Jason Tatum play great. Jalen Brown has played great. Campbell Walker has played great. I mean, they've got guys stepping up. They've, you know, sort of, uh, you know, added to that with Robert Williams, who I think has been emerged as one of the better defensive big men in the NBA. Romeo Langford, they finally found him. Like he's been, you know, kind of on those, you know, milk cartons, so to speak, for for a while now, and he's given them a little bit of a boost. Uh, Evan Fournier, before he went out, was was playing pretty well. They're just, you know, they're piecing some of their stuff together. I don't know what it all means. You know, I th- I still think the Celtics are vulnerable when you get to the playoffs because I, I don't like their depth, at least not, you know, until Fournier shows me what he can do on a on a more steady basis. But uh, their their confidence has certainly been regained after that really tough stretch in, in February and March. Chris, uh, you met with you were talking about injuries earlier with the compacted season and whatnot. You should have seen or felt the building when uh, when when Donovan Mitchell went down with that injury and they had yeah. to help him off the court. I mean, it's just it reminded me, and, and thank goodness it seems like he's going to be uh, back, like we talked about. But man, I'll tell you, all it takes is one injury to ruin a season, really. Yeah, I mean, across the board, especially when you're. You know, like Brooklyn's like the one team that might be able to survive a major injury to a star and still win something. I mean, that's how good those those three guys are. But yeah, I mean, you know, Denver's now out of it. I mean, I don't you know, I don't care what people say. Like you know, Denver's not going to win without Jamal Murray. And you know, Donovan Mitchell, you don't even need to. His value is to this team is just you know, it's uncalculable. Like he's just so so special and so and he's having such a great season that. You know, to watch him go down like that, um, you know, had to have been an incredible moment for, for Jazz fans and, and probably a, a big sigh of relief, of course, to hear that he's he's not going to be down for too long. I'll tell you, on a personal basis, I think I mentioned to you guys last week that 
you know, I, I've been working on something on the Jazz and how they kind of have, have kind of put things together since last March. And you know, I, I filed that story like last late last week, and I'm, I'm on a plane Friday when the, the Mitchell injury happens, and I'm sitting there thinking like the last month of my life is now going to be worthless. Like it's going to be a major injury, and and I'm just I'm just going to go crawl into a corner and just. Uh, cry myself to sleep. So for, on a personal level, I'm happy that Donovan Mitchell is, is well uh, as well. So, and I don't want you to give up, uh, you, you know, the entirety of the piece by any means, Chris, but uh, can you share with us any conclusions examining the jazz over that period of time? Well, I mean, it's, some of it is, is simple, you know, getting guys back, you know, Bogdanovic is healthy. That's a big part of what they do. Mike Conley being better is a big part of what they do, but you know, one, one thing I've learned in the last few weeks is ju- just how valuable the bubble was for this team. And, and you know, they, they talked about it, and, you know, you, you get a sense that it was important. But on a personal level, reconnecting, um, uh, you know, we're, after the, all the things that happened in March was valuable. And I think on a, a professional level, um, how they played and, and the confidence it gave them was valuable. One thing I thought was remarkable was, you know, I, I talked to a lot of guys for the story that – you know, they, they didn't walk away from that Denver series thinking, oh, man, or feeling down. Like, it, it hurt, no question about it. But most of those guys walked away from that Denver series thinking, we can we can be great. Like, you know, this is a, a really great team. And they knew what was coming back. They knew that Bogdanovich was, was going to be a huge part of what they do. And they never could see Mike Conley was getting better. And you have to wonder what would have happened if Conley didn't have to leave, you know, because of uh, the family issue, a family obligation. Um so I, I think that just, you know, my biggest takeaway is that, you know, the bubble, a lot of people saw it a lot of different ways. I don't think there was a team in the league that got more value out of it than the Utah Jazz. I think it's been a real springboard for what they're doing this year. So, Chris, do you believe that old cliche that you learn a lot from losing? Uh, yeah, I do. I think it, it, you do it in different ways. Um, you know, I think, you know, an eight seed getting beaten the first round by a, a one seed can learn a lot. We saw that in 2010 when Oklahoma City – you know, played the Lakers, and I thought that was a real uh, catapult to what they eventually did in the subsequent years. Um, and, and you know, for a team like Utah, where you know you 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 learn from you know what a team did to you being down three one. I mean, that a uh, loss like that can go two directions, right? Like you could go the way the Clippers looked like they were going to go. And I, I don't think the Clippers you know, walked away from their playoffs last year thinking we're we're in a good we're in a good position right now. I mean, I think they were probably pretty demoralized uh, after that and, and they subsequently made some significant changes uh, to that roster but you know the jazz to a man um, it, it just seemed like they knew you know they knew what they uh, what they could be and you know from the second training camp rolled around uh, they really hit the ground running and have been exactly that team Tom Thibodeau um, has the Knicks on I think their first five game winning streak in like years um and uh, I'm curious about him. What is it about him that when he takes a job, the team gets better immediately? What does he bring to a team where they they up their uh, their their level of play in such a short order? I mean, he, he's a brilliant defensive coach. His and that is his schemes in part. Um, you know, stuff of which I couldn't properly explain, but you just hear that a lot from opposing coaches. Like they are a very Tom Thibodeau coach. Defensive teams are very disciplined. And they're just excellent on that end of the floor. I mean, Boston won a championship in part because Thibodeau was the defensive coordinator back in 2007-8 and, and, and a big part of what they've done. I think the other part of Tibbs, and Jimmy Butler said this to me once, that 
you know, you, you, he goes, you go into the locker room and, you know, he's got all that stuff up on the whiteboard and you just know when you see it, like if you follow it, you're probably going to win. And, and that, I don't think that's, I don't think every coach has that same level of trust from his players. I think a lot of them do, and a lot of them have earned it. But, you know, Tibbs can walk into a locker room and design or put together a, a, you know, a, a game plan. And, you know, players know if they follow it, it's, it's probably going to lead to success on the floor. So I think that that's a big part of it. Like, you know, players immediately respect his basketball acumen and, and trust that what he tells them to do, uh, it's going to lead to success. Chris, I guess in a general comprehensive kind of sense, let me ask you this question. What has surprised you the most this season? Oh, I mean, you mentioned the Knicks. That's certainly a a stunner that they've been as good as they've been. Um, You know, I I think some of the parity that we've seen, um, you know, across the league. I mean, I I was – you listen the last couple of days to the belly aching being done by Dallas about the play in tournament. And I look, I understand it to a degree because if you're the Mavericks and you're sitting there at the seventh seed, you're probably looking up at the standings going, all right, Utah, Phoenix, the Clippers, we can beat those teams. Like, you know, this is not a situation where uh, the seventh seed or even the eighth seed, you know, is, is just a non-threat for the top seeds really in either conference. I mean, more so in the West, but I think in either conference, you can, Make an argument that there's there's going to be some tough some tough tests. So I think that that stands out um, league wide, uh, and, and of course you know the the never ending MVP watch. Which I mean, God, when it's all I, you know this award ballot. Like I don't I I, I will reveal all my uh, uh, choices for these awards, but yeah, I'm just going to log off Twitter immediately afterwards because you're going to have sections of the country furious with you for voting for Jokic for MVP or Quinn Snyder for coach of the year over Tom Thibodeau. Yeah, I mean, there's just so much, this is probably going to be one of the best MVP or our best uh, award ballots in terms of competitiveness that we've seen in a while. So with that in mind, Chris, let me ask you about your kind of personal philosophy because Gordon and I, all, although we certainly don't have votes in the NBA awards, we've debated the philosophy, whether, you know, do you go by stats? Do you go by wins? You know, team success. Uh, when talking about the MVP, how do you balance that? I mean, you look at Steph Curry, who's having a special season, but the record for Golden State isn't that great. You know, how do you weigh all that into consideration when weight making up your mind? You know, the only hard and fast rule I have on award ballots in general goes with the most improved player award, which should never, ever, 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 ever go to a player drafted inside the top three. It, it drives me crazy when people vote for players being improved. Like Brandon Ingram last year, I didn't get it. I didn't know why people were voting for him. The guy was the number two pick like four years before. You're supposed to improve be the number two overall pick. But as far as, as MVP goes, um, I, I think it's a little bit of everything, not to kind of punt on the question, but it's it's not – you know, I, I don't just look at stats, though. You have to put up big numbers to be in consideration. I do maybe more than most voters value team success. It's why, you know, when uh, – yeah, look, when, when our friend Tim Bontemps of ESPN did his straw poll, I mean, I had at that time, it was about a week or so or two weeks ago maybe, that he asked me for my vote. I had Mitchell at number two uh, because I, I – value team success he's putting up great numbers this year maybe not as staggering as as Embiid or or even LeBron but you know at that point he was you know an Ironman and he was you know putting up great numbers on 
the best team in the NBA. And I think there's that that needs to be accounted for when you're uh, submitting a ballot. So it is a little bit of everything. But for me, you know, team success uh, swings a big bat when it comes to, to my vote. You know, when you consider Donovan Mitchell, Chris, I mean, do people forget that he's like six one in a fraction? I mean, he's he's really because he plays bigger than a, a guard of that size. Do do folks remember that about him? And does that make them appreciate his abilities more or less? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I I think I don't think they do appreciate it enough. I think you know, there's like an assumption that he's maybe you know, and then look, NBA media they know what what he is, but I think maybe the fans in general maybe see him as like a six six guard or you know a six one point guard but he's really a six four six three six four whatever he is you know the you know two guard uh, who who plays some some point at times i mean that and that that makes his turn all that more remarkable how he's he's risen to this level i mean look he's you know he's a big part of the story that i've been writing about kind of how he's evolved his game and there's not too many players i mean look great players work hard there's no doubt about it but I, I haven't come across too many players in recent years that work quite as hard as Donovan Mitchell, both when it comes to studying the game and putting time in to, to play the game. I mean, it's just he's, he's giving everything he possibly can to make himself a great player. And he's doing it with, as you said, some kind of physical limitations for, for his position. Um, so, I, I, you know, that, I don't think that gives you any kind of extra juice for, for an MVP award. I think that – has to be kind of taken out of the equation. But as far as being a franchise player and someone you can build a team around, uh, he's got all the ingredients. I don't know if you got into it at all, Chris, but he's also uh, he's he's sort of a renaissance man. For a kid who's 24 years old, He I wrote a column about this recently, that he's he's he may end up being a leader of a generation, not just basketball, but because of his views and his – uh, what's important to him as far as education goes and racial and social justice and all these causes he's involved in. It's easy to forget that the guy's 24 years old. Yeah, and I, I think you got a glimpse of that in the bubble, at least I did, you know, with Mitchell taking a uh, – uh, maybe, maybe it was a leadership show, maybe you call it that, but he certainly was a vocal leader when it came to all the issues that were, were out there at that point in time. Yeah, he, he's – he, there's certainly a lot of depth to him. I'll say that uh, for sure. I mean, he's he's become someone that uh, is not only a leader on the floor, but very much a leader amongst whether it's other players or fans or you know just people that that follow him. He's he, he's taken a lot of steps in that direction, and the more he grows and, and the the more the better he gets, the more success he has. That that power is only going to grow with it. Last thing for me, Chris, Zion Williamson said he likes playing in Madison Square Garden. Now everybody is uh, is freaking <laughs> out. Uh, or, or when I say everybody, are they making too big a deal of this, or is this really something to be made a big deal of? That what? That Zion will defect to the Knicks? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, we we can't be doing this again. Like this, this is like I mean, every time a player said, like we did this with LeBron, like. Yeah, eleven years ago, and no, no moss on this one. Like, I just it maybe someday that that can be a conversation. But I'll put it this way: no player in the history of rookie extensions has ever turned down a max level extension. None of them have, and there's a reason for that because it's not like you can you can't get that money that you'd turn down in the first year. If you sign the qualifying offer, you lose out on like eleven million dollars. 
that you can never get back. So guys always sign that rookie extension. So five years from now, if Zion is saying something like this, uh, then maybe we'll have a different conversation. But until then, uh, no. This is just fodder for the New York Post, the Daily News, and all the, the New York you know, radio and TV shows that talk about this stuff. If you're, if you're the New Orleans Pelicans, you are not remotely concerned about this and shouldn't be for the foreseeable future. Last thing for me, Chris, is as I look at the Western Conference, you've already told us how highly you, th- uh, how highly you think of the Lakers when they're fully healthy, uh, and let's assume that they do get fully healthy. Of all the other teams in the West, who's the strongest um, sleeper, if that's what you want to call it? Uh, I mean, sleepers, I don't know if there's a sleeper necessarily. I guess, you know, because the Mavericks have the talent, you could potentially call them that. Um, I just think the whole playoffs are going to be competitive, like really, really competitive from from eight to one, you know, wherever the Lakers finish in that mix. I mean, you know, Denver used to be the team that nobody wanted to play. Now everybody might want to play them because of the Murray injury, but Jokic is still there and Gordon. I mean, there's, this could be a really, really interesting Western Conference playoff bracket uh, because, you know, we, we yeah, I, I still think the Lakers at full strength are probably the favorite, but, you know, there's it, probably six teams that you could say could make the finals, and none of them really shocked me because of just how how unique these playoffs are, are going to be. So I don't know. I don't know if there's one sleeper per se. I guess you maybe can call Phoenix a sleeper a little bit because they haven't been there before, and, and there's some really, really good talent uh, on that team, but – uh, the way the Suns have played this season, they're they're no longer kind of an upset pick. So I, I think there's, you know, the the in, in the absence of a sleeper, I think you're probably going to have five or six teams that could potentially make a run. Chris, thank you very much. As always, we'll catch you next week. You got it, guys. There you go, our friend Chris Maddox, senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated. He's right about the West. <laughs> I just I look at that and I go. Okay, uh, you're not. I mean, this is why I don't bet on sports. But I, I, I look at that grouping, and I think, okay, uh, I guess I would put the cutoff at, with the Mavericks, including the Mavericks. But that's seven teams contending for a title. Is that well that what you're being dangerous? To? So let me say it that way: being dangerous in the playoffs. I think, I think those any one of those teams is capable of upsetting somebody. You know, at least of winning a series. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, say, I can come along I mean, with that. that. Winning a series, I, I, I would, I would not group that many as title contenders. Right, but they, I mean, they're all of those teams would be a threat to the Jazz in one way or another, or the Suns, or the Clippers, or Lakers the Lakers are sitting. Well, the Lakers are just sitting there, just screaming at in the fifth slot. Because you know those two players are coming back, and you know that's going to change a whole lot of things with how dangerous the Lakers are. Yeah, I know. I don't come along with the logic that they're they're hands down the best team in the West when they're all healthy, though. I know that I'm not in the majority there, Gordon, but I still think the Clippers are better than the Lakers. Well, we've asked uh, we've asked Chris and we've uh, we've asked Gordy that question. I think both of them said the Lakers. I hope I'm not misrepresenting. It would yeah. not be the first time I've disagreed with either of those people. <laughs> I forget. Did we, we probably asked Howard that. Who did Howard say? I think he said the Lakers, too. Well, 
Wouldn't be the first time I've disagreed with Howard either. <laughs> you disagree with everybody. In fact, I have. You're it's disagreeable. <laughs> well, you know what? I've been called worse. <laughs> Want to remind you about our friends at Davis it, Vision? You know, hold on. It's part of your charm. I appreciate that. Charm. I mean, that's, that's, that's a good word. That's what it. makes you who you are. Uh, there, Davis Vision Spring LASIK sale is going on now. Get rid of those contacts and glasses. Save $1,000. Start your road to better vision at Davis Vision. Check them out at davisvisionmd.com or call today, 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision. All right, Gordo, we'll have more coming up next. We've got what's going on at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. Uh, pre-game starts at 7. Jazz game starts at 8. More next, 97.5 and 1280 of the zone. What time is it? It's half past the hour and time to talk Utah Jazz. Oh, Donovan! This is your Jazz at 30 update, presented by Syringa Networks. Working from home or with a hybrid workforce? Get a powerful IT partner with Syringa Networks. Call 385-420-7881 or visit at syringanetworks.net. Ring the 30-point belt. Joe Ingles in the Jazz. They're 4-2 in their last six games. They're getting set to take on the Lakers in L.A. tonight. It's their second consecutive game taking on the Lakers. They lost uh, here in U- or uh, in L- Los Angeles in overtime on Saturday. Joe Ingles talked about the limited lineup they were playing with due to a bunch of injuries. Obviously, there was different guys out there for bigger stretches than, than Norm, obviously, Ersan and Juwan being kind of the two obvious ones. Offensively, obviously, and defensively, just try try and keep it a little bit more basic. Obviously, we, we were missing four pretty important guys um, with the guys that you mentioned. So just keep it basic, let it flow, let guys play. I think for the majority of the game, we did a, a pretty good job. Obviously, had some turnovers late. They kind of counted off that, but... I mean, we were one stop away from, from winning the game, really. So we'll take a lot, a lot obviously, some, some good stuff out of it. But regardless of who's out there, it still sucks to lose. So we'll kind of get back together and watch some film and, and get ready for the next one. Here's your injury update uh, going into tonight's game. Rudy Gobert and Mike Conley are both probable tonight. Derek Favors is questionable. Irsan Ilyasova. Uh, Ilyasova, excuse me, doubtful for tonight's game. Your bottom of the hour jazz update brought to you by our friends at Syringa Networks. Tip-off between the Jazz and the Lakers is going to be a little after 8 o'clock. Pre-game will begin at 7. You can't stop me now. This is The Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Presented by Big O Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires for no credit needed financing and the best prices on winter tires. Big O Tires, the team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Show Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Thank you very much for making us a part of your day. Don't forget uh, Jazz Lakers tonight at 8 o'clock. Pre-game coverage begins at 7. Coach Lacombe will, uh, will join me, and uh, we'll get you ready for tonight's matchup between the Jazz and the Lakers. Gordon, I have a question did, for you. Yeah, go, oh, ahead. go ahead. No, no, shoot. I just a I just, uh, simple question, really, and uh, – People were wondering this a little bit as they watched the Jazz against the Lakers the other day with a greatly reduced lineup. Did you learn anything from that game about the Jazz? Um, 
Well, sure. I mean, we learned that uh, we learned that Ilyasova has something left in the tank. I don't know <laughs> if we had we had necessarily seen that. Do you think then. that that's something that could be useful, say, in a tough playoff series? Yes, particularly again. I hate talking about this stuff. Knocking on wood here, but yeah, if injuries or situations happen, yeah, they, and you need an extra body, one hundred percent. As we've seen, I mean, imagine if they didn't sign Ilyasova. Uh, Gordon, and they were missing Rudy and Derek Favors. Mm-hmm. They had yeah. Juwan Morgan as their only big, basically, on the roster. And he's not even a big. I mean, that would be rough. So, yeah, I, I do think you could uh, you could certainly learn something from that. How um, tall is Juwan Morgan? 6'7", uh, I believe. By the way, he was a minus 19 while in the game. Okay. Whatever that means. Uh, means he was significantly outsized for the entire game. Six seven, two hundred and thirty-two <laughs> pounds. That's what Juwan Morgan is coming in at. So, and by the way, he's the what, thirteenth, fourteenth, fifteenth player off the Jazz bench. So I don't know what you were Normally. expecting from mm-hmm. from him. Um, you know, I I think we found out actually that the amount of threes that they take really matters. It really makes a difference. I mean, that's how they were able to even the playing field with the Lakers. Um, in that game, even though being significantly outsized, they took 59 threes. They which made is 23. Just incredible. What's How does that uh, relate? To, what was it? What's their greatest total this year in made threes? Was it 27, was it? I think you were right because uh, the Milwaukee set the record with 28, and I think the Jazz are one off at 27. Okay. I want to say that. I I apologize. But I and is that is that as many as they've done in any game, 59 attempts? That's the, the spot. that's the know. high that I can remember. But as you know, sometimes these games uh, uh, run together a little bit. But yeah, I think that's the season high. But but get this, listen, uh, Gordon. I Milwaukee I'm, the records twenty nine. Twenty nine made by Sam Merrill. He made the twenty nine. That's correct. Yeah. And then how many did the Jazz have? Twenty seven or twenty eight? Twenty eight. Okay. All right. Um, but Gordon, I don't know if you heard Quinn Snyder's pregame media availability on on Saturday. We played it on the pregame show. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll sum up his comments the way that I interpreted them uh, because he talked a lot about the defense. And I, I, I got the impression that he was bracing everybody that uh, the Lakers were going to score 160 points because he was basically saying, like, I don't know how we're going to stop anybody. That was kind of the, the summing up his pregame comments. And uh, the the way that they stayed in the game is they took almost 63s. I mean, that, that was the way to, that they were going to do it. And it. Almost worked. Yeah, almost. They did, they did have that comeback. Um, yeah, really, I agree with you completely on that, Jake. I mean that that was their that was their only hope, really. Um, yeah, that's what they had to do. So, only getting to the free throw line eight times. See, is that a trade off? I've never really done a study. You would think that you would get fouled less frequently shooting threes, although we have seen a lot of defenders sort of get under a player. No, but that logic applies. I hear what yeah. you're getting at. I think that's correct. I mean, you're so not that's kind of a trade-off. You're not going to get to the free throw line. So I wonder, I wonder if anybody's calculated the benefit versus the the disadvantage there. You know. Well, I'm sure somebody's some, calculated it, but yeah, I, I hear what the you're Lakers saying. scored 20 points from the free throw line. Yeah, but what was yeah. what were the Jazz going to get going to the hoop? I mean, Jordan Clarkson does his thing, but his he's not exactly in there to draw fouls because he's mm-hmm. more on the get to his right hand kind of deception kind of thing. 
I mean, Bogdanovich, I think, in recent weeks has done a really nice job going to the basket. And you look at it, and he's, he shot six foul shots. He shot six of the Jazz eight foul shots. So, I mean, I, that just that wasn't a lineup, I think, for the Jazz that was going to generate a lot of foul shots for the reasons that you're laying out. I think you're So do you think, think right. uh, Quinn, I, you know, Quinn actually told him not to drive to the rim? Yeah, I think Quinn told him to take as many threes as possible. Because I, I think he was being genuine, and I, I don't know if this would be worthwhile to play some of his pregame comments. Probably not. But and essentially, he he talked about defense the whole time, and you can tell he was extremely concerned about how they were going to get stops, for obvious reasons. I mean, none more obvious than they're missing the best defensive player on the planet, who their entire game plan defensively is built around. And I wonder if some of it also. You know, how many times have you heard Quinn talk about connection and communication at the defensive end? Well, when you when you've got whole new rotations, essentially, I don't know. I don't know how much those guys have practiced their those lineups specifically communicating and connecting. Oh, not at all. I think is the answer. Mm-hmm. I don't think they. I mean, they've hardly practiced for one. Ilya Sova just joined the team. Yeah, true. So yeah, I don't think they. I don't think they've practiced with those lineups at all. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, to go from having the rim protection of Rudy Gobert to none, and that didn't turn out to entirely be true because Ilya Sova, that block on Kuz was was really something. But I mean, to go from, uh, you know, the best rim defender in the league, and then Derek Favors coming off the bench who ain't bad either, mm-hmm. to Irsan Ilyasova and Jawan Morgan is quite the drop-off. And, yeah, I do think that, that the Jazz were concerned they were going to not be able to get stops. And that was true through large por- uh, portions of the game, Gordon. Didn't turn out to be true in the fourth quarter um, when the Jazz erased that lead and pushed it into overtime. So they, they did a good job digging deep and figuring out a way to get some stops. But that was going to be the game plan all the way along. I mean, you could see it right from the beginning of the game where the Jazz were just – they came out hoisting – and again, they they had 101 field goal attempts, Gordon, and they shot 59 threes. Did you were you surprised that only the Oni only played two minutes? Yes, I was surprised by that. Absolutely, I Tim and I talked about that a little bit. I can't remember if we were on the air or off the air um, at halftime that we. I mean, I thought honestly that there was a, a better than good chance that he would start. Is he in the doghouse a little or something? Well, I'm not sure. Maybe they've seen something from some of these other guys. Or Honestly, Gordon, maybe well, they want to. If, Quinn, if Quinn's talking about defense, isn't that supposed to be what Oni can do uh, better than just by anything else he does? Right, but I don't. Okay, this is entirely speculative on my, point, uh, on uh-huh. my part. I don't think the Jazz really went into that game Saturday thinking they were going to win. I think they went into that game thinking we are so shorthanded. This is going to be an L most likely. So maybe we give some other guys a bite at the apple. So you think they were what? Saving Oni? No, no, no. <laughs> trying him? trying Trent Forrest who got 12 minutes and they were 12 not good minutes either by the way. And thus <laughs> you saw George Niang playing some point guard in the second half. Um and they weren't necessarily missing wings. They were missing point guards and bigs. Does that make sense? Yeah. So they, they weren't necessarily thin at his position. But I was, I was surprised he only played two minutes. I do, I, I do agree with you. I saw quite a bit of dribbling where a player, uh, especially some of the less experienced players, would try and, and beat somebody off the dribble, but th- they weren't beating them. And so you've just wasted four or five seconds on the shot clock. 
But I guess I think you said it right, Jake. I think the Jazz didn't expect to win that game. I I, I thought they. I think this is again speculative, but I, I think they went into that. You know, just okay. We got a couple injuries. We're resting a couple guys. Just taking it very careful. It was like it was almost like a scrimmage, and then and then they darn near almost won. Right. Right. So yeah, again speculative, but yeah, I don't think they thought they had much of a shot. And so maybe see what Trent Forrest is going to bring you, Jawan mm-hmm. Morgan, yeah. Matt Thomas, who has, by the way, been unspectacular in the limited yes. minutes that he's he's received, yeah. and Jarrell Brandley missed, picked up seven minutes too. He's missed some some open looks, hasn't he? Yep. Like what uh, our guy Ben Anderson from KSL Sports said about Matt Thomas that so far his his uh, legacy with the Utah Jazz is almost making every shot. He's yes, done. almost. <laughs> They do go did in you, and out a lot, don't they? But they have not you, gone in hardly at all. Did you ever? Uh, did you ever? Uh, when you were playing pickup basketball, were, were you ever pleased enough with it almost going in? All the time. <laughs> Same with my dating life. I almost getting a date was a victory for me. Oh, really? What was the worst of it? Not getting a date, yeah. But but and when it would, when it would come lot? close and they would j- then just stand me up, at least they said yes. No, no, no. Who, Almost. Who, who, more, who more than any other broke your heart, Austin? That's – we don't have time for that, nor do I deserve – do you deserve to hear the stories? And by the way, <laughs> almost going in, that's a green light to take three more chucking shots. <laughs> Yeah, air ball, that's when you second guess and go, you know, maybe I shouldn't be shooting as much. Just bricking one, that means yeah. that means bad luck. Give it a go again. But almost swirling in and out. Almost going in. That that's hey. Give me the you rock, know, it's time for a heat check. There is a lot more to what you just said than some might think. I mean, especially when you're playing in a game where you might be in over your head a little bit. Guys, do you see that one almost went down? Feed me. Feed me. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is painfully true for a lot of our listeners, I'm sure. I drew iron. I can take the next one. It's all right. <laughs> all the right. Board for once. I airballed that one. I'll, I'll, I'll think about getting underneath yeah. for a rebound next time, maybe. Hey, I got news for you. If you're if you're in a pickup game and you just have guys who are just showing up and just joining teams together, if if you go out and airball it. You might as well just pack it in right there. You might as well just leave the gym. But anything more than an air ball, that, that seems to me like. <laughs> if you hit the rim. <laughs> now, you're going to do more than just hit the rim. No, no. The ball it's didn't got, pop. I'm going to shoot it. it no, you, it's got to ricochet out or something. It's got to. It, you uh, draw iron, that means I get to shoot again. <laughs> you now, now if it almost goes in, like I said, that's that's the, the Clarkson green, green light right there. That's, hey. The offense is running through me for the next few boys. <laughs> that was just bad luck. It didn't go in. <laughs> yeah, give it to me again. All right, Not Sports Port is next. Stay tuned, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Check this out. And now your Not Sports Report on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. What's the lifespan typically of a black bear in the wild? Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Random, but good to hear from Steve Brown. I'm sure that will make a lot more sense here in a moment. 
Uh, but it is time to get a winner for the Chevy Strong Play of the Game. Pete Collar, 12 right now, 855-340-ZONE. Correctly identify the Chevy Strong Play of the Game uh, announced by DJ and PK this morning at 850, and you'll win a zone prize pack. It's the Chevy Strong Play of the Game, brought to you by your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealers only on 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. So Collar, 12 right now, 855-340-ZONE. Time for the Not Sports Port, brought to you by the LHM Used Car Supermarket. Over 1,000 used vehicles in inventory. Shop online, lhmusedcars.com. Gordon, uh, where are we going today? And I'm assuming it has something to do with bears, considering we heard that clip from Steve there. Yes, we're going to Wyoming. We're going to Grand Teton National Park. And this uh, hits close to home for me because I have a good friend who was uh, once attacked by a bear and uh, really was... Uh, Mike, I hope uh, you're fully recovered from that. It was many, many years ago, but he has quite a story to tell. Mike Dunn, if you've ever heard his bear attack story, it is scary. Anyway, this fellow, Evan Matthews, well, he was out for just a casual run at Grand Teton National Park, Jake, and he noticed, in his words, a cinnamon black bear who was fresh out of the den taking an interest in him. So what did Matthews do? He didn't run away, because they say not to do that. He held his ground, and then he started slowly backing away. And But he kept talking to the bear. And, Austin, I think we have some sound from this. Why don't we give that a listen? Got my bear spray. Stay back. Hey! No! Stay back! No! No, you back up. You stay there. I don't care if you're hungry. I'm not your food. Good bear, you keep moving. Sure, we can take a walk if you want. You don't get any closer though. All right. So apparently uh, the bear lost interest in him for a moment. But then he continued to follow him as he was walking away. And, uh, I mean, this, the, the guy, Evan, said, that's the first time I've been kind of run up on by a bear. It's exciting. Seen plenty of them out in the wild, but never had them come at me like that. And he said this, this is key, I did not run away. If I had, the bear could have thought of me as prey and chased me down. Being that I'm not prey, I stood my ground when it charged, showing that I'm not a prey animal. Then I backed away slowly. He said, he made another distinction. He said, I did not play dead. That may save your life if a mother bear with cubs is attacking, as she may perceive the threat to be over. But with a solo bear who is interested in you like this, it is not trying to eliminate a threat. It is trying to find an easy target. Don't be one. So this caused me to look up a handy-dandy little instruction thing on how to, how, uh, how to survive a bear attack, Jake. And I can't vouch for this, so don't hold me responsible for it. But apparently, if it's a grizzly bear, uh, number one, you need to carry bear spray. And number two is don't run, just like Evan didn't. It says, drop to the ground in the fetal position and cover, cover the back of your neck with your hands. Play dead. How to survive a black bear attack. It says, carry bear spray. 
stand your ground and make lots of noise. And that's exactly what Evan was doing there. It says, don't climb a tree because <laughs> black bears apparently are excellent climbers. And it says, if the bear actually attacks, fight back. Use anything and everything as a weapon, rocks, sticks, fists, and your teeth. Aim your blows at the bear's face, particularly the eyes and snout, when a black bear sees that their victim is willing to fight to the death. A bear broke into a car, drove it down a hill, crashed it, and then pooped in the driver's seat and then left. If the victim is willing to fight to the death, they'll usually just give up. So I guess I have uh, uh, a question. Well, this uh -huh. is not unlike the the uh, bobcat story in Utah County, not that. That was a cougar. cougar. That yeah. was a Bob bobcat. It's the same thing. The bobcat no, was not. the guy that just recently <laughs> hit the bobcat, attacked his wife. Yeah, yeah, I saw and that he picked too. up the bobcat yeah, yeah. and launched it. Yeah. It's the same thing. No, it's a not the same thing, Jake. Don't tell people thing. it's the same but, thing. But no, anywho, <laughs> I want to know if this bear was bald-headed. Because this is the reason that I don't go hiking without a shotgun lamp. A shotgun lamp? No no great outdoors fan? Oh, you ever seen the oh movie The Great Outdoors? Yes. The bald-headed bear? That's, it's been so long, though. And, and the, the old guy gets into the cabin and he plugs in the yes. lamps. And John Candy goes, what are you going to do with that? It's a damn lamp. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! I'm sorry, I messed up your joke by not remembering. That's all right. I mean, it, I guess that was a that's a really a old that's a really old movie now. But that's got to be one of the funniest scenes in cinema, right? Where they they he's plugging, he's aiming the lamp at the bear, <laughs> and then you just see all the fur disappear from its backside. <laughs> Big bear, chase me! Big bear! Big bear, chase! Big Bear chased me. Nothing, Gordon? Nothing? I, I Not mean, a fan? I, I haven't seen that movie. Oh, you'd wow. love it. You would love it. It that that is that is You know, really you've told me that before, but the last time I looked, it got like two and a half stars, uh, and so who, I wasn't sure. Whoever don't believe those. The Great Outdoors <laughs> with it's one of John Candy's best. Okay. We're not going to give it a shot. Hey, somebody back no, me up here. The Great Outdoors is a great, hilarious Chase. movie. Big Bear Chase! What did he say? What? Big Bear Chase me! And <laughs> <laughs> it gets in. Oh, it's funny. Uh, you know, I just looked up at the, uh, the U.S., uh, the National Park Service, and it said that if, if, you, if you encounter a bear, that you should identify yourself. It says that talking calmly makes the bear know that you're a human and not a prey animal. Do bears, do bears, I mean, do, can they distinguish that? I mean, are they, they can hear the words? Or do your words just sound like, you know, an antelope barking? So don't make dying rabbit sounds? Is the, that would be wrong? <laughs> It does say stay calm, Jake. That's remarkable what Evan did there. Because staying calm, that would be, I mean, that's a lot easier said than done when a bear is bearing down on you. Well, sometimes you eat the bear, Gordon. <laughs> you can't eat bear. Oh, and sometimes the bear eats you. Haven't you heard that? No? Okay. All right, uh, we've got what's going on. Coming up next, stay tuned, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.